to be with you today. Um, I uh, have a couple of things to start with. One, uh, how many of you know us human beings often have a hard time admitting we're wrong? Anybody else suffer from that? Uh, Cartoon strip Peanuts. It's still published some places and uh, Anyway, first frame, Lucy is like writing a letter, and she writes out, starts at dear, but she spells it D-E-E-R. Well, Linus sees that. He jumps all over, and he says, that's not how you would put dear in a letter. It's supposed to be D-E-A-R. Well, Lucy, without a comment, the next frame, without looking up, she just keeps writing dear, a brown fur-covered animal who lives in the woods. Uh, Pastor Austin, uh, Elder Austin, Pastor uh, here, and he told a story a couple a couple months ago, and I loved it, and I'm going to repeat it. So, <laughs> well, a psychologist, a pastor, and a doctor all went deer hunting together, and uh, they're out in the woods, and then they're looking over the horizon. And here comes a ten-point buck. And all of them aim at him like that, and, and simultaneously they all fire, and the buck goes down, dead. And they all run up to him, and everyone, everyone is wondering, well, who, who shot him? Who shot him? And, and they, they looked all over the animal, and they couldn't find any gunshot, evidence of a gunshot on his body. And uh, finally the psychologist said, oh, I know. It was the pastor who got him, who shot him, because the bullet went in one ear and out the other. (laughs) Uh, Today, uh, uh, I want to introduce you to a concept. Actually, I uh, two weeks two weeks ago I preached and uh, I anyway mentioned this and I want to focus a little bit on it today as well. It's found in Proverbs chapter twenty three verse seven, and it says this: <laughs> Do we? Have, I'm sorry. We. All right. Anyway, as it. As a person thinks in his heart, so are they. So are they. Mindset. Uh, the set of our mind is so key, so key. How we think about ourselves is so important to life. How we perceive ourselves, both in our world and in our universe, so, so key. Basically, it, it runs this way. Our beliefs determine our identity and our identity, how we perceive ourselves, determines our behavior. Look, how we see ourselves will control our behaviors, and our behaviors will reflect our beliefs. Now, understand, one of the things that, that Jesus did that was so important is Jesus came to transform the way we think about ourselves. Jesus came to focus on how we, to teach us how we are to think about ourselves because that will, how we identify will determine our behavior, 
which will demonstrate our beliefs. Now, one of the methods that Jesus used was he told stories that we know, we know are, are parables. Historians agree that Jesus was the master of using teaching by, or using parables in the form of using it as a teaching model. The word, the Greek word parable is parabole, parabole, comes from two Greek words. Para means alongside, we get our English word parallel from it. And bole is to cast or throw. A parable is a story from culture uh, which could easily be understood by any of the listeners because they had similar experiences in their lives. But cast alongside was a profound and a deep spiritual significance that can only be understood by spiritually alive people. Jesus tells parables so that the, parables so that the hear, hearers would put themselves in the story and that it would transform how they thought about themselves. It would transform their thinking. The word transform in Greek is the word metamorpheo. Metamorpheo, we get our English word metamorphosis from it. Metamorphosis is the process that happens when a, a caterpillar forms a chrysalis or a cocoon around itself. And then a time goes by and it emerges from that encasement, this glorious winged creature known as a butterfly or a moth. This morning, I, I believe that Jesus is inviting all of us to listen. He's got three stories he wants us to hear, and they're all called parables, and I believe that if you can put yourself in the story, what you'll discover is that it will transform your life, and you'll become you'll become this beautiful winged creature that he intended for you when he created you in his image in the first place. Now, come with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. It's my favorite chapter in the Gospels. Uh, probably my favorite chapter in the, whole, in the whole Bible. Luke chapter 15. And notice how it starts out. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around him to hear him. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law murmured, muttered, murmured, okay. <laughs> this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. <gasps> Would you believe that? Not only does he welcome them, he eats with them. Now, what, what, you, what we don't know in our culture, because it's not necessarily part of our culture, but it was part of first century culture, eating with someone meant that you were welcoming them, approving of them, that you were having intimate fellowship, fellowship with them. Table fellowship was the most intimate kind of fellowship you could have in that culture. It was a very precious thing. Who you ate with were, you know, I mean, they were his family or the best friends or, you know, really significant. I, I just, let me just follow this through a little bit further. Go to Revelation 3.20. Oh, yeah, we're getting on the board. 
Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, very familiar verse to many of us. And, you know, I don't, you know, but let me help you hopefully with the understanding a little deeper. Here I stand, this is Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and him with me. Table fellowship. What Jesus is saying is, you know, if you invite me in, we will have intimate fellowship of the deepest kind. Intimate fellowship with the deepest kind. Table fellowship. Jesus, you're even eating with these people. What are you thinking for Pete's sakes? Now, in response, Jesus now tells three stories. To explain, he tells three beautiful stories. And I want us to, to focus on them. First, uh, Luke chapter 15 now, beginning at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there, is, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Jesus tells this parable, but what we don't understand is that, is that everybody listening, you know, people listening had all experienced this. See, what happened in the first century, many villages had common flocks. The village would have a common flock. The bravest and best of the young men would be chosen and trained as shepherds and would take the flocks, the, the village flocks, out to the pastures. Um, there would be, you know, a team of either two or three shepherds with a hundred or a couple hundred sheep. Every night they would bring them together after they had pastured them, they'd bring them together and they would do a head count to make sure no one was missing. And, and if there was a sheep missing, they would all, oh, no. And the head shepherd would have to go out, by assignment would go out and look for that lost sheep till he found, found it. And he was required either to bring the lost sheep home or the fleece in case it had been killed by a wild animal so he could prove what had happened. Some of the very best men were chosen to be Shepherds as young men. Uh, some of the young men, perhaps listening in the crowd, had been shepherds themselves. Everybody listening had experienced this in their villages because when a sheep, when the word came to the village, one of the sheep is lost, the shepherd is out looking for him. Well, there would be a big bonfire started and everybody would sit around and they would all wait. Has a shepherd come? Has anyone heard anything from the shepherd yet? Have we found the lost sheep? And they would sit by the fire all night waiting to hear word. And then in the morning, the sun's rising, and they see a silhouette on the horizon. And, and they see it walking toward them, and they say, is that the shepherd? Yes, it's a shepherd. Does he have the sheep? Yes, he's got it over his shoulders. As he came near, the children would all run out to greet him and come with him. And, and as he entered into the village with the sheep over his shoulders to cheer, the crowd would cheer greatly. And they would all celebrate. 
See, they had all, as children, experienced this. And then Jesus looks at them and says, that is what it is like when someone comes to faith. And the angels of heaven break loose with shouting and dancing and rejoicing over that one who has come to faith. Can you hear the angels cheering this morning, my friends? Jesus tells another story on verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this story is, uh, this parable is a little more disconnected from our culture because, well, uh, I, I remember hearing this as a little boy and going home, and I took a penny out of my drawer, and I dropped it on the floor, and I, it was easy to find. And I was thinking, well, how did she lose that coin? <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. remember, you, you know, those houses in Israel in the first century were not like our houses. They didn't have hardened floors. They were stone houses. They were three or four room houses. That was a standard house. And they had dirt floors, which were covered with straw for warmth. Ten coins... Ten coins is very significant. William Barclay, in his commentary on, on the Gospel of Luke, uh, points to some historical materials that show that when a Jewish girl, uh, when she was about 10 years old, she would start to collect silver coins, drachmas they're called. It was, a, it, was a, it was the pay a man would receive for a day, or a man or woman would receive for a day's labor. A drachma is a silver coin. When she was 10, she would start to collect, and her goal was to collect 10 drachmas. And when she got 10, she would then link them together and form a, a circle, a chain that was put into a circle. And on her wedding day, her husband would take that crown and put it on her head. And it was like an engagement, like an engagement ring today, or a wedding ring signifies today. And on special occasions, she would wear that in, in her. Anyway, it's one of these coins that got lost. It's a valuable. It's valuable. It, it's worth some value in terms of its face value, but even more valuable because of what it meant. What it meant. That's the coin that's lost. And when she loses it, she doesn't know where in the house she's lost it, where it's disappeared to. Somehow it became on length, and so now what can she do? Well, she has no choice. She has to sweep all of the straw and the dust up that she can, gather it all, and she takes it outside, and now she's got this pile, and she sits down in the sunlight, and she begins to go through it looking for the lost coin. Well, all the neighbors, hey, Sarah, what did you lose? I lost one of my wedding coins. Oh, no. Let me know when you find it. And she looks through, and she keeps going through, and then through a pile of, of dust, she, she clears it away, and there's a sparkle in the sunlight. And, whoa, she found her lost coin. 
And she gathers all of her neighbors around and they gather around and, and they celebrate. See, all those listening, they'd been part of those experiences. They lived in neighborhoods and, and somebody was always searching for some valuable thing that was lost through the straw and the dust and as they swept it up and piled it and went through it in the sunlight. They all knew the experience and Jesus says, I tell you, that in heaven, when one sinner repents, there is such a rejoicing before God by the angels of heaven. Are you, are you getting it? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear the angels celebrating? And Jesus tells a, another story. And... Um, Chapter 15, verse 11, I'll read this through verse 24. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off to a distant country and, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to become, be, be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men, one of your servants. And he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And, and the son said, Father... To him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son the father. <laughs> it was like he didn't hear it. And the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this, my son of mine, was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, the son doesn't know it, but every day that father goes up the stairs to the top of the house and he looks down the road in a longing kind of way, just hoping that this will be the day he'll see the boy heading home. And he doesn't give up, and day after day he goes up to the roof and he looks down the road and, and it goes on, and finally there's one day, though, that he looks and he sees the dot coming down the road, and as it's coming toward him, he thinks, could that be my son? Could that be my boy? And he watches, and the figure comes closer and closer, and he now, now notices and sees the gate, of the, gate of, the, of the man coming and realizes that is his boy. And when he realizes it, he runs down the stairs, throws opens the door, runs down the road, throws his arms around his son, and kisses all over his face. <laughs> 
And the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. And the father can't hear it. The father can't hear it because it's not part of his heart. Yeah. And the father just says, bring the best robe, the toga virilla, the robe of sonship, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, the, sat, the signet ring, the one that gives him right to all the family's wealth. Put sandals on his feet, and sandals were a symbol of authority. And kill the fatted calf. And this is kind of the Caesar of it all, because normally when you had a Jewish feast, you had lamb. I believe only one time in, in the Bible is there a reference to when a calf was killed and, and the feast was given. That's Abraham as he had entertained God at his table. <laughs> this is really significant. Really significant. This my son who was dead is alive. Wow. The lad hits rock bottom and he says, I, I, I think I'll go home. How many people haven't started out in rebellion and, and in the rebellion they discover it didn't work out very well and uh, it isn't too long. Usually there's a phone call, hey, dad, <laughs> hey, mom, can I come home? In a sense, the, you know, the young man's observation is good. Um, if I go home, there'll be a place for me. I'll be okay. But he has no idea. He's going to be way more than okay. He didn't see the rest of this coming. Um, he had what, you know, what I, I'm sure what so many of us do as we go through, go through life, we... You know, we beat ourselves up a lot. Actually, psychologists tell us that the average person has somewhere between 30 and 90 negative thoughts about themselves every day. <laughs> That's a lot. Did you know that God's trying to change your view of yourselves? You don't do that no more? I, I like to call it killing ants. You know what killing ants is? Answer automatic negative thoughts. Boom! Kill them! <laughs> Step on them! No more! Because I'm changing how I'm thinking about myself. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. The angels in heaven have cheered over my life and they have given me assignment and I'm here to be part of the army of God taking back the planet. That's the call on our lives. Jesus says, the angels in heaven cheer because the plan of God is working. Is working. Let me, uh, let me go through. I think this is kind of helpful in terms of, of a, a teaching factor because I think the gifts are actually gifts to us. Okay? Let's look at each one. First, 
God's gifts to us, the best robe. It's the robe of sonship. It's the robe of identity. Look, listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 14 forward. This is powerful. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, for God did not receive a spirit, for, for God did not, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I, I lived in Israel for 14 months, studied Hebrew and archaeology. Many times I watched a, a, a little child come running toward a, a man yelling out with arms open, Abba, 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 Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's what you get to do now to the creator of the universe. Arms out wide, Abba, Abba, Abba. For the Spirit himself, for the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, then we also share in his glory. Co-heir with Christ. Do you realize what that means? Do you realize what that means? Jesus Christ actually inherits all things. Do you know what it means to be a co-heir with him? We inherit all things. I, I used to like to say, hey, we all, when we get to heaven, you know, you, you, I, you know I'm kind of thinking that, I don't, that gravity no longer has power over me. <laughs> so I get to kind of go anywhere, fly anywhere I want to. But see, when, when, when we get to heaven, not only can we travel among the stars, when we get to heaven, we own the stars. Yeah, co-heir with Christ. Do you understand how great your salvation is? You know, if we really get this thing, what it really means to belong to Christ, wow, it just changes, transforms everything. Back in the 1970s, now... I was an adult in the 1970s, so yeah, already, and yes. So, uh, I was a lot thinner then. <laughs> but in the 1970s, the scientists developed a special technique. They were going to train a fish to live out of water. Yeah, they, they, they took these fish and they began to train them and they trained them and trained them and, and they, they got to the fish because the fish can actually, through his gills, he can take in oxygen and, you know, and breathe. You know, it's a struggle, but he can do it. And so they wanted to develop these fish who could live without water. And, and so they taught them to, they were able to teach them to hate water, to, dis, to despise water and, and they were, you know, and they had these fish and they took them on a tour and one day they had a, by a lake when they were presenting their special fish and the fish slipped and somehow fell into the lake and the fish just oh, froze up, don't, the water, it's terrible, it's, 
You know, and, but, but sunk to the bottom and the fish, he finally had to take in the water. He had no choice, and he did. And his gills filled with the oxygen. <gasps> Alive! <gasps> Took another gulp of water and fed it, fed it through its gills. And now, wow! And suddenly, its fins moved, and he darted through the water. And on that day, he discovered he was born to be a fish, and be, but he was living like a turkey. <laughs> did, did you know that you have been designed to live by faith? Yeah. That, that's the air you're designed to, bo- to, to breathe, and the world tries to somehow convince us that, that oh, that's just terrible crutch. No, it's the air you're to breathe. One of the things you do if you go to seminary is, you know, you have to study world religions, and that's okay. It's really helpful, but fascinating is you study world religions, and you realize they offer nothing. There's a prison. Do you know there are two key major human problems. Two, just two. We only have two key major human problems. One is what do I do with my guilt from my misbehavior? What do I do with my regrets and all those things I did wrong? How do I deal with that? And the second one is simple. Every human being is going to die. And you realize Christianity is the only faith or religion we could, you know, we call it a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's called classified as a world religion. But irrespective, it's the only one that offers the answer to the key to human problems. Cross and resurrection of Jesus. In a six-hour time plus three days, Jesus solved it all. On the cross, he took all my regrets and all my, my guilt and all my sin, and he wiped it out. And then on the third day, he walked out of the tomb alive. Do you know what the resurrection of Jesus means? It means there is death for death. It is no more. Are you getting this? That's why we come, and that's part of why we celebrate Holy Communion every Sunday here, because, wow, we just are not going to forget the single most important event ever to occur on planet Earth, and that's the death and resurrection of our Lord, Savior, and King, Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, wow. You've been created to breathe the air of faith, to live on faith. A seven-year-old boy went to uh, a series of evangelism meetings, probably similar to what the house has. Everyone said, "Well, we hold a week of <laughs> a week of uh, evangelism here." And uh, anyway, the boy went on Monday night. He went on Tuesday night. He went on Wednesday night. Went on Thursday night. The last night was Friday night. And 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 uh, 
when, when the evangelist finally stayed around until the evangelist went out to his car and the boy followed him out and said, sir, can I ask you a question? And the angel said, sure, what is it? He said, well, he said, is it true that you said I have to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and King? Is that true? And the man said, well, yeah, that's true. Are you ready to do that, son? And the boy said, one question first. How big is Jesus? Well, Evangelist said, I probably, he might have been six foot tall. He's pretty big. He was a carpenter, you know. And, and the boy said, that's what I thought. And if I invite Jesus into my life, won't he stick out a bit? <laughs> and the evangelist thought for a moment, and then he said, son, you're right. If you invite Jesus Christ into your life, he'll stick out all over the place. Yeah. Jesus tells us these stories in hopes that they will transform our lives. That we would put ourselves in the story and discover who we are. That we could begin to hear the cheers of the angels in heaven. And know that we are the sons of God, that we are the daughters of God. And that we have been commissioned by our Lord, Savior, and King to be kingdom warriors and to help take back the planet. That's our job. What a, what a marvelous calling you have on your life and I have on my life. Would you pray with me, please? Papa, Daddy, Father, Abba. We, we are delighted to come before you, and uh, as we look at these pictures today uh, from the stories of Jesus, as we look at them, we, we do place ourselves in them, and, and we recognize so powerfully your grace and your mercy and your love, and we recognize your transforming power that your great desire for us is that we would come out <laughs> these beautiful winged creatures that you dreamed about when you created us in your image in the first place. And if you're sitting here today and somehow you've wandered in here and <laughs> you said, hey, I wonder what this is about and, and you're saying, whoa, how do I become a part? How do I really join this thing called Christianity? And it's real simple because Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door of your life and I'm knocking. If you will go to the door and open the door, I will come in. And I will have intimate fellowship with you and you with me. And I'll be your Savior, Lord, and King. And I'll transform your life. And you'll learn what it is to live in the atmosphere of faith. If you're sitting here and you've never for sure made that decision, or if you're sitting here and, and you're saying, you know, I, I used to be a part of a part of a, a group that was fervent for Christ, but I lost it and I, I, I want to come back. If I want to come back, Jesus is saying to you right now, you, you can come back. Come on. It's not hard. Open the door. 
Open the door. And I just, everybody, I, I'm going to pray out loud. I'm going to ask you to all pray it with me if you're here. And, and, and some of you may be accepting Christ for the first time. Others renewing your faith in Christ. And, but let's, all, let's just all do this together. I'll give you the words. Just say them after I say them. Dear Lord Jesus, say it with me. Dear, I open the door of my life to you. Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I receive from you the forgiveness of all my sins, which you paid for on the cross. And I receive the power of your resurrection when you walked out of the tomb alive. And Jesus, in your resurrection power, I want to live a new life. I want to live a life in the atmosphere of faith. And I want to fulfill my calling as a kingdom warrior and help take back the planet. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus Christ came into your life right now and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What a, what a marvelous day this is. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before I give you the closing blessing, there will be prayer ministers up front. If you have a prayer need today, don't leave here without being prayed for, okay? That's kind of something that's really essential. Other than that, this is my favorite thing. I love to do this, so I'm going to bless you. Stand to your feet. Look up. Receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance, his presence upon you and give you his favor and his peace today and all week long in your leisure and your labor, your coming and your going for his glory. I declare, amen. Amen.